0: how are we this morning? Good, good. Um, I I, I hesitate asking how are we this morning because I'm sure there's quite a few Georgia fans in the room. Let's pray one more time together. (laughs) Father God, thank you so much for the word. God, I thank you for a a team of of worship leaders, God, Lord, that I, I get to stand with every Sunday who God, to them it's not an act, it's not a show, it's not a performance, God, Lord, it's just it's their love language that they get to give back to you. And, and Father, I appreciate that. And God, I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that as we move from a time of musical worship to worship in the Word, I pray that you would cultivate our hearts to receive from you, God. Lord, We we don't want to just sit here today and and, and, and hear something, God, Lord, but we really want to lean in and listen, God, Lord. We really want your word to take root in our hearts so that we would be revived, the word that John prayed to you, God, revived, God. We want to see revival. We want to see Lazarus-type experiences happening in our church, God. We want those who were dead in their sin and trespasses, wrapped in the grave clothes of their shame, to come to life in you. That's what we want, God. And we pray this morning, God, for a few minutes as we read your word, God, and as we tackle, um, God, what some would believe and, and definitely are just tough topics. I pray that you would give us grace, God, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive all that you have for us this morning. We are desperate for you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. I began to prepare, today's kind of a standalone. Sermon day. Uh, we, we just finished up our, our love, L O V E, the mission statement of our church. We just preached through that for four weeks and then. Uh, what's coming up, what's on the horizon is our generosity initiative. It's going to be the four, three or four weeks of sermons to where we're going to be talking about giving. Go ahead and let you know we're going to talk some about money over the next month. We're going to talk about giving and we're going to talk about what it means to, uh, to build the new facility that God is leading our church to build. And what that means for us as far as partnership and commitment and those type things and, and vision and where we're headed. But today... Today I want to answer a question that I've been grappling with and and thought much about. If you turn on the news um, or you look at the newspaper, you pull out a, you know, go to your favorite online news source, more than likely you're going to hear words or phrases or ideas about police brutality or brutality against the police, vice versa, you're going to talk about how technology and the technology world is spinning out of control. You're going to hear the word "immigration and illegal immigration. You're going to hear the word "abortion," and you're going to hear the word the phrase "black Lives Matter." You're going to hear Islam and radical Islam." You're going to hear probably one of the most scariest of them all, presidential election. And that's coming up. And if you watch the news at all, and, and, and I can see some of you already beginning to squirm, so just, just hang in there with me. Strap your seatbelt on. We're going to get through this together this morning. If you're tuned into culture at all, what it looks like is this. It looks like when we turn on the news or when we plug into whatever we read, uh, the Drudge Report or whatever, you know, Fox, CNN, NBC, NBC, whatever it is, all those super full of integrity organizations, right? No. It looks like the world is crumbling around us, doesn't it? And doesn't when you think about the, the the Syrian refugee crisis, and and it's not just in Syria. When you when you think about the those who are who are fleeing their country. It's Iran, it's Syria, it's Pakistan. I mean, they're literally flooding out of their country because of the oppression and the the brutality of war and they're flooding to all other parts of the world. When you look at the news, you think, man, the world is literally crumbling around us. So today, by the power of the Spirit and by the grace of God, what I want to do for just a few moments is talk about how we should respond because from the church, there has to be a response. From the church, we have to open our mouth. We have to live out our lives in such a way that we respond to the things that are going on in the world. So number one, if you're taking notes this morning, jot this down. Just jot down the question. How do we respond? Subpoint: You write A beside this if you want to. B, not B, by shining bright. The first thing this morning, listen, how do we respond to a world that is crumbling around us? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you can go there in your Bible. We're going to jump around quite a bit, but that's going to be our anchor verse. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We have the unique opportunity to carry the Christian light, the light of Christ, into some of the darkest times the world has ever seen. You say, TJ, how am I supposed to respond to the darkness? You're supposed to be a light. See, you're a city set on a hill. You're supposed to be this beacon of light by shining the light of Christ. But you know what we do oftentimes? This is what the church does. We flip on the light, right? It's a pretty cool light, the light of Christ. My flashlight here If the room was dark My flashlight could light up the room Couldn't it? It couldn't help all of us get out of the room Find an exit door But see for some reason the church Rather than doing what we're called to do Is to take the light of Christ Into a lost dark and dying world We've all just kind of come together And we're like hey look look how cool my flashlight is and some of us are like, well, my, mine's kind of cooler than yours because my, my flashlight's a little more theological. I know about, like, the, the, the trichotomy and the dichotomy and the trinity. And I know how to unpack, like, old, you know, like, old, old school doctrine and stuff. And I can talk about justification and predestination and Calvinism and Arminianism. And look how cool my flashlight is. And I'm so smart. And some people are like, man, my, my flashlight's just chill. Jesus is my homeboy. That's what we've done. Like we've all been given this incredible light of Christ and and we all just kind of come together and we're all shining the light. The problem is, is, is that we're not actually taking the light to where it needs to be. We have this incredible gift. Scripture calls God in multiple places. In the Old Testament, Scripture said that he appeared as a cloud by day and a fire by night. In the New Testament, it says that our God is a consuming fire. So he has placed in us the fire of the Holy Spirit. We are lights. And we have this opportunity. How do I respond to chaos, TJ? How do I respond to the world going dark all around me? Strike a match. Flip on the light. You have it inside of you. Let's not try to maintain our holy huddles and, and see who's holier than thou and who has the best church attendance and blah, blah, blah. Let's literally take our light to a lost and dying world that needs us. So we respond to the brokenness and the world crumbling around us by shining a light, by refusing to hide it under a bushel, right? Be insane. And my prayer for you today this is my prayer. My prayer if you are one of those believers like I have been in my life at times who are trying to hide the light of Christ under the bushel, I just pray that your whole bushel would catch on fire and God would just mess you up. And you would become the loudest mouthpiece for Jesus in all the world. So we shine bright for Christ. We also respond to the difficulty in the world crumbling, crumbling around us by enduring difficulty, by remembering that. We are not first Americans, but we are first Christians. So there's something pretty incredible that happened to Paul when he became a believer. His Roman citizenship, his, his degrees, his political and religious status, everything was kind of separated from him. And the primary thing in his life was God was the gospel was christ and listen i love america i love the fact that we live in a free country right hashtag america at this point of the sermon like i love that we live here but we are first christians and we we're first called to serve God right where we are. We were first called to endure difficulty. Look at listen, 2 Corinthians 4:17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing in us and for us an eternal weight of glory. This light and momentary affliction, because of the things going on in the world, we will, if we haven't, one day face persecution. We will. It might be from the government, when they press in on us for being Bible-believing people and holding to a biblical worldview. Your friends and your family might endeavor to call you bigots because you simply want to lead a holy life and to be a proponent of a holy God and lift the holy gospel. You say, well, what do I do? The American version of Christianity says, "Well, you puff up your chest and you say, "Don't tread on me." Right? Isn't, isn't that what we're taught? Puff up our chest, and I'm an American. Right? See, when you became a Christian, you gave up your rights. You Give up your rights. Now you're a Christian. Now does it mean you can't be proud to be an American? No, that's not what I'm saying. Is, does it mean you can't be proud to be a Republican or a Democrat? No, that's not, not what I'm saying. But all of those things come way down the list after Christian. And at any time that we prize those things over the person and work of Christ and what he's done, then we have erred in our faith. We shine bright and we respond to the world crumbling around us by enduring difficulty. I mean, could you imagine if Paul would have said, Man, I'm not going to suffer these stonings. I'm not going to suffer these beatings. I'm not going to suffer the ridicule of the Judaizers. I'm not going to suffer this. I'm just a Roman citizen, man. I'm going to go back to my house. I have a degree on the wall. Nobody's going to talk to me the way that you've talked to me and slapped me and beat me for the sake of the gospel. I have a degree on the wall. Aren't you glad that he said, No, I will endure suffering. For the sake of Christ. I will endure suffering so that the gospel can spread to every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. Listen, I know this isn't the most popular sermon in the world, but it's the truth, and I love you. Next point. We respond to a world crumbling around us not only by shining a bright light, not only by enduring difficulty, but also by fixing our eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, As we look not on the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. One of the ways that we respond to the world crumbling around us is that we fix our eyes, we fix our hearts, we fix our emotions, we fix everything that we are on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what we realize is that this this world, America, right, all of its patriotism, all the political parties, all the political systems all over the world will one day crumble and lay at the feet of King Jesus. Therefore, we do not put our hope in this world and we don't put our hope in man, but we put our hope and our trust in God who is not transient, who is not fleeting or futile, but he is infinite and he is good and he is ours, How do we respond? We fix our eyes on Jesus. I love it, the old song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Gaze full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we desire in our Christian walk. The things of earth to grow strangely dim. For the trinkets and the toys and the power... And the lust of this world to slowly begin to fade as we fall more and more in love with Jesus. As we key in on him and we gaze at him with everything we have. So we respond to the world crumbling around us by shining a bright light for Christ. Not being in our holy huddle, just comparing flashlights and telling everybody how cool our light is. Not by enduring, we, we do it by enduring difficulty. The way that we suffer, listen, when we suffer, when we walk through hardship, we actually have the privilege, and I know this sounds crazy in our own human logic, but we have the privilege when we suffer to identify with Christ Jesus. We identify with him, and this is what he said in his word. He actually said this, if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. So there's joy and glory in suffering because we know it's temporary. Remember what he said, this light and momentary affliction is working in us and for us, an eternal weight of glory. Last thing before I finish the introduction, I'm just joking, is by knowing the Word. Now, how do we respond to the world that is crumbling around us? We know the Word of God, we dig into the Word and allow it to cultivate in us a biblical worldview. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So all the things that I mentioned earlier, all the things that cause tension in our hearts, we think, does God have an answer for that? And when you think about police brutality and brutality against police, When you think about the riots going on across our nation over the past six, eight, ten months to a year. When you think about cities burning and being looted. When you think about officers being assaulted and men being assaulted just because of the color of their skin. And it really does happen. I know that we live in white America, right? But the reality is is that there are men oppressed still today because of their color, of their skin. So how do we handle this? How do we speak to that? How do we, when the world's crumbling, how do we have an answer for that? What do we do? We got to know the word. What's the Bible say? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your neighbor as long as he looks like you, thinks like you, votes the same way you do. No, love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible has an answer. As a Christian, you don't have the opportunity to pick a side. There's one side. It's called the gospel. It's called Christ. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit all these topics. What about immigration, TJ? Right? And this is where I guess I could probably get arrested because you're supposed to separate church and state, but we're just going to go with it. What about Immigration. Like, what are we supposed to do? Let me make it really easy for you. Unless you're an officer of the law, unless you have a badge, unless you're the president, you can't deport anyone and you can't can't grant amnesty to anyone, right? Is that right? Is that true? So what... What's your role in this? Let me give it to you. Matthew 25, 35. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. For I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Am I advocating this morning for illegal immigration into our country? Absolutely not. They're sinning. That's a sin. They're breaking the law. Am I advocating, though, for the church when we are blessed with all different cultures coming into? And may it be that we have been so bad as Americans for so many years of carrying the gospel to the world that God was like, all right, I'm just going to flood the world to you. A bunch of materialistic Christians has sat on your duff long enough and you sat here and you built big buildings and you've built big barns and you got your life ways and all these cool material books and none of you ever go overseas or give your life up for the gospel. I'm just going to let the world infiltrate you so that maybe you win them to Christ. We are, we are not called to make legislation. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are called to feed and clothe in the name of Christ, so that some might repent and call him Lord. And listen, I know. You're like, TJ, you're getting a little too political this morning, man. I have a lot of feelings about this. Good. Bring me your verses, your text, your scripture, and your chapter. I'm going to move on from immigration. Immigration. And the next point is is to listen. I want you to have a biblical worldview. I want you to know when someone comes because there are some of you. I dare say there are some of you sitting in this room. Say, well, what do we do with the immigration problem? Send them all home. What? Put them all in jail. I'm I'm serious. I guarantee there've been conversations around dinner tables. What's the gospel perspective? What's the gospel perspective? How are we supposed to love people? How are we supposed to serve people? How are we supposed to give up our rights so others can see the kingdom of God? And listen, I know that I might be killing off 25% of you because of this sermon, and I'm okay with that because this is the word of God. Point number two this morning under... How do we speak and how do we maintain a worldview? If you watch the news, there's so much talk. And before I say this point, I just want to tell you, when when we talk about abortion, I know that there may be some in the room who have been pressured in or have walked through that. And I just want you to know that there's grace and there's love and Jesus loves you and he will restore you and redeem you. This is not meant to be condemning at all, but I want you to hear my heart when we talk about abortion, when those conversations come up, because it's in this election, it's huge. Women's rights, right? That's what we're talking about. At what part of the pregnancy is it? Should it be legal to terminate a fetus, right? To terminate a baby. I want to give you a biblical worldview, and this is what the Bible says: Psalm 139:13. For you were formed, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. A conception. God had a purpose and plan for the baby. So you don't have to sit quiet in the office when people are having the conversation. You can actually open the Bible and say, look and see what God says. And if you walk down that road, listen, I want you to hear me say this. God loves you. God wants you. God will forgive you and redeem you. He will remove the shame. But there's an answer in the word. You say, okay, TJ, what about Black Lives Matter? What about organizations that, 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 that protest? What, what do we do with Black Lives Matter? What, like, what, do we, what do we do, right? Because it's polarizing. It's amazing how in the last... Year to two years, there were things in America that genuinely God had been healing for a season, have resurrected themselves. It's Spiritual warfare on some level have resurrected themselves. It's causing division and, and, and dissension between brothers and sisters just because of their skin color. So what do we do? What's the biblical perspective? What's our, what should our answer be? I want to give you... Biblical answer, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It did not say, The Son of Man came to seek and save the white. It did not say, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the black, or the Hispanic, or the Iranian, or the Pakistani, or the Israeli. It said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, do black lives matter? Absolutely. Do white lives matter? Absolutely. Do Hispanic lives matter? Absolutely. But all of them pale in comparison to lost lives. Lost lives are the objective of the church. It doesn't matter if they're black, if they're white, or if they're Hispanic, Pakistani, Israeli, doesn't matter. Syrian? Lost lives matter. And if you're going to hang your hat as a believer on any other movement than the gospel movement, shame on you. Shame on you. And TJ, what about Islam? What about radical Islam, what about people blowing up bombs in New York, and and what do we do? What's our defense? Isaiah 45, 5 says, I'm the Lord and there's none other beside me. There is no God. Listen, we know that the God of the Bible is the only true and living God. But we do not convert anyone by the sword or by argument. Let me tell you this, if any religion proclaims that it's okay to convert the Gentile or to convert the unbeliever by force or by death, it is not a religion of God or the Gospel. See, Islam says, and it does, if you would read the Quran, you're actually a bad Muslim on some levels. If you don't follow through with the purification and follow through with persecuting Gentiles, there are religions in our world that say, and "I want you to hear this. I want you to have a biblical worldview." There are religions in our world that say, "The most good that you could do for your religion is to go and convert them, and if convert if they will not convert, then to kill them." But this is what the gospel says to us. The gospel says, go into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and be willing to be killed for it. See other religions around the world say go, and if they don't do like you want them to, then kill them. The gospel of grace that we have from Jesus Christ says go into all the world and be prepared to be killed for it. Other religions press and push to take life, and the gospel says you be willing to give up your life. What do we do with this presidential election? I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I don't know how to vote. What well, Daniel 2.21 says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Listen to me when I say this. He sets down kings and puts up kings. Whoever walks into the White House this year will be at the design and purpose of God. He was, well, TJ, what if... It, What if it's not my candidate? What if it's bad for America? There were times in biblical history where God's people had ran from God so long that he allowed Babylon to take over. I mean, think about the Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament. Think about the Medes and the Persians. There were times that God's people had so gone astray, that God's people had so turned their back on him that he allowed their enslavement and captivity to bring them to their knees and remind them who their God was. He sets down rulers and he puts up rulers. For far too long we as a church have longed to hear from Bill O'Reilly or NBC or CNN or Fox News or some other talking head rather than turn our eyes to the scriptures that give us life. See, it's easier to, to turn on a talk show radio or, or turn on the news and get pumped up about a certain issue. It's so much easier to do that than it is to run to the scriptures and say, God, teach me to love. God, teach me to serve. God, teach me to care. And, and, and this is real to me. It's a conversation I've had to have in my own mind and my own heart. My wife and I are adopting from India, so... Literally, in just a few months, maybe, longest of a the year, there, there's, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty white dude, right? So I'm going to have some brown babies in a white dude's house. I'm going to look very different. The conversations I'm going to have to have with my kids are going to be very different than if they were just white kids that I was sending off to school. Now, I think, man, what do I, what do, I do? Do I listen to Fox or listen to MSNBC? What, what do I do? Where do I go, man? And God's like... The answers. We've forgotten as a church that we have all that we need for life and holiness right here. So how do we respond? We respond by shining bright the light, by enduring difficulty, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, and by knowing the word and applying the word to uncomfortable issues in our society. It is okay to speak up. It's okay to share what you know about the Bible with your coworkers or your friends. It might not be comfortable, but check this out. Our hesitation to respond has often led to building churches that have weak biblical worldviews and people who will not stand in the face of adversity. And I do not want that for our church. What? Well, it's none of my business. So I'm going to sit back. It's everybody else's business at the table. Why don't you share something that has life? So give an answer. You say, TJ, am I sure... Are you, are you sure we should give an answer? Are you sure we should actually speak about these things? and then just like, let it go, let it roll off our backs? Should we have a voice in all this stuff? 1 Peter 3.15 But in your heart, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who has a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That word defense in the Greek is an apologia. Be ready to give an answer. Be ready at all times to give an answer. When somebody comes up to you and wants to talk about a current event, man, there's answers in the Word. and the, To know the Bible is to have the answers at times. Hear this, and I'm going to wrap up in just a minute. Our answers are not to win arguments. They are to lead to hope. And I'll say this because some of you in this room, and even myself at times, we love to argue using the Bible as a defense. We love to use this thing sometimes as a sword against the lost rather than a salve to repair their wounds. Some of us love to know deep theological truths and love to know the Bible so that we can beat people over the head with it and have an argument. But listen, I know no one in my life who has been one to Christ because they lost an argument. Our words, when coded with grace and truth and gospel-centeredness, are powerful. Romans uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, For the power of life and death lies in the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. We have what we need. And my prayer, my desire for you and for me as a church, when the world is crumbling around us, when the government lets our friends and our neighbors down, when the school system lets our friends and neighbors down, whatever it is, whatever situation, when their family lets them down, I pray that you and I, when everything goes dark and everything is crumbling, you and I will be able to do one thing. We'll be able to stand in the darkness and strike a match. We'll be able to be lights in the darkness, pointing to the only one with all the answers and all the grace and all the truth to carry us all the way home. Let's pray. God, Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your word and its ability to transform our lives, to change us from from death to life, and to give us perspective, Um, even on current events, things that are going on in our world. Lord, it is, is difficult. It is difficult to navigate our culture the way it is, God. You've called us to be one Body under one faith and one baptism, circled around and camped around one God, one hope, one savior, Jesus Christ. That's what you've called us to. So, God, I pray that you would make us a church that's serious about and individuals, God, not just a church, but individuals who are serious about knowing the Bible and knowing what you have to say. You have something to say to all these current events, God. You have a position. And you desire us to deliver your position with grace and with truth, God, Lord, with with compassion, Lord. So, God, I pray for your sons and daughters that are sitting in this room, God, Lord, who may even at, at work or at school or in their peer group may be in that dark place where everyone, God, Lord, everyone is railing against the gospel and everyone is railing against the church. Everyone is railing against holy living. I pray that you would give them the boldness to strike a match. To be light in the darkness. And by your grace, maybe lead a family member, a co-worker, or a friend from darkness to light. By the power and grace of Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray as we sit with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God Lord, as this song is sang over us, I pray that we would just do business with you. God Lord, you, you expose in our heart our prejudice. You expose in our heart our materialism. You expose in our heart our lust or our pride. God, Lord, allow us, give us the boldness to confess it. To be freed from it. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name.